0: Welcome to Where Do You Exist?, a storytelling podcast in collaboration with HBO and their new television series, Here and Now. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. From Oscar and Emmy Award winner Alan Ball, Here and Now stars Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter. It follows the members of a progressive multi-ethnic family, a philosophy professor and his wife, their adopted children from Vietnam, Liberia, and Colombia, and their sole biological child, and a contemporary Muslim family headed by a psychiatrist who is treating one of their children. Here and Now premieres on HBO Sunday, February 11th. This, what you're listening to right now, is the first episode of a six-part podcast miniseries recorded in front of live audiences in Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, and New York City. A diverse collection of storytellers shared their most intimate, true tales of family, identity, love, belonging, and finding one's way in the world. Today, you'll hear three stories from Portland. Enjoy. Are you guys doing okay, Portland? Awesome, nice to be here. Thanks for having me in this uh, multicultural crate and barrel showroom here. It's uh, very nice. Uh, We're gonna have a really fun night tonight. Uh, We're gonna have a lot of speakers come up and sharing some beautiful stories, some funny stories, some very heartfelt stories. And with that said, are you guys ready to get this started? Awesome. Our first speaker, they are a photographer, a writer, a community organizer, a mother, a Harry Potter freak, (laughs) and a a snorty laugher. Uh, (laughs) Originally from Los Angeles, now here in Portland. Everyone, please welcome Margaret Jacobson.
1: Um, When I was asked to speak, I was a little nervous because talking about family for me comes with a lot of layers and some baggage. And it's not all terrible. It's more so because I'm adopted. And so there's a lot of missing pieces in my life. And... I think that a lot of times when I tell people that I'm adopted, they assume my parents are white, and they're not. Um, My dad is black, and my mom is uh, half white and half black, and so everyone did the thing. All the white people we knew were always like, oh, you look like your dad, because my skin was darker than my mom's and my younger sister is also mixed. So they were like, and she looks like your mom. And I was like, no, we don't look like them. And it was just like, I, it's just white people. Okay. Um, and we grew up in this like gated community with like all white people. And I was like, I don't know who I am. And so when I was seven, the day that I found out that I was adopted, we had gone to lunch after church and because I used to go to church and believe in Jesus, no offense if you do, um, we had gone out with the pastor of the church and my parents were really good friends with him and he, I'm coloring and I'm eavesdropping and everyone knows that I eavesdrop a lot. Anywhere that I am, I'm listening to everyone's conversations, and I insert myself into people's conversations constantly. I'm always like, oh my God, I love that too. And they're like, we weren't speaking to you. And I'm like, but now you are, and you love it. Um, And so I'm coloring, and... This man says to my parents, the pastor, he's like, well, are all of them adopted? And I have two siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And I always thought me and my brother kind of looked alike because he was darker like me and my sister is lighter skinned. And I just had this moment. I was so excited. And I was freaking out because I had just watched a movie a few months before about a little boy who was adopted. And it was like a holiday movie and this couple was going to adopt this little boy, and they were a black couple, and I never knew that black people could also adopt children because everything I saw and every child I met was like, these are my white parents if they were brown like me, which is fine. That's fine, but it made it seem like that wasn't a thing that black people did. And so I loved this movie instantly. I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna be great. But then the wife dies, and I was like, I hate this movie, but I'm gonna keep watching it. Also, I can't change the channel because I'm a child. Um, And so then this man is told he can't adopt this little boy anymore because he's a single man. And I'm pretty sure race played a part but he still worked so hard to do it. And I just remember the movie ending and he was able to adopt the little boy and I was like, that's what adoption is. It is being chosen and it is someone wanting you so, so, so badly that they will do anything and everything to have you be a part of their family. And so the minute I heard that I was adopted, I'm like, shout it in the restaurant. I'm like, I'm adopted. And my mom is like, shh. You know, and everyone's looking like, what the fuck? What what is this happening over at that table? And I remember leaving and I'm skipping and I'm wearing this like whatever ridiculous lacy dress and I'm just twirling and I'm looking at my parents with like more love and appreciation and admiration than I ever had. And I was like, I'm fucking wanted. Um, And the thing that I always do when I feel that way is call my mom. And I just kind of remind her, I'm like, you chose me. You thought that I was enough. And on my birthday, she likes to tell this story about how she was in the hospital and I had just been born and they came to pick me up and all the other babies were crying and sleeping and I was just awake (laughs) looking and I guess we locked eyes. And she was just like, that's my baby. And my biological mom was um, a crack addict. And so when I came home, I was crying all the time. And my mom just told me about how much she loved sitting up with me every night, just like rocking me. And I hate staying up with my kids when they're crying. <laughs> <laughs> I hate... Like, <laughs> I try to do that thing where I'm like, this isn't going to last forever. I really should enjoy this, but I'm not. And she just (laughs) talked about how meaningful it was for her and how beautiful it was. And I was like, oh, my God, you really love me. And I know that, like, we go through life just wanting people to, like, love us and, and it's this rad thing that I can always look back and know that I was so wanted. Not that like my children weren't wanted <laughs> when I had them, but they were surprises. <laughs> so that is not what I had wanted at the time. <laughs> and my children love hearing about me being adopted. And so my daughter's like, oh, you just went to the hospital and picked us up and you chose what we looked like. And I was like, no. I just got you, (laughs) you know? And the thing about my kids, right? They're my first blood relatives. And when I was carrying my daughter, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I have a kid that looks like me. I don't know what this, like all these things I do with my body, which is like so much all the time. And I'm like, who do I get that from? And the faces I make and my snorting and like, obviously my great sense of humor. I'm just like, who did I get that from? And I get to watch my kids and they look like me, and they act like me, but they also have inherited things from my parents, and my daughter is constantly reminding me that like, family is who we choose so often, and that is, my, that is the thing I'm the most proud of as a parent, is that my kids will, like if they ever met any of you and you are kind to them and you treat them like a fucking human, they will love you and you are family to them. And that is my most favorite thing about being someone was adopted and what I've been able to pass on is this example. And they love their grandparents for adopting me and for raising me. And I was telling everyone earlier, I called my mom to be like, oh, I'm doing the storytelling thing. And I'm gonna tell them the story. And I thought we would have this cute moment on the phone and she would be really appreciative. And then she was like, ugh, Margaret, I told you we were adopted before that. And I was like, no, you didn't. And I was like, ugh. And then I was like, I just wanted you to know I love you. Thank you. And then we had our cute moment, but I was just rolling my eyes so hard. Oh. <laughs> okay that's the end of my story <laughs> thank you guys
0: our next storyteller uh, you might be familiar with her uh, everyone uh, she oh you see you're, already, you're getting shout outs already everyone please welcome Nong Punsa Kwatana gonna do a little interview with Nong. Hi Nong, how you doing?
2: Good, how are you?
0: Hi. Hey everybody, say what's up to Nong. Hi. You're like the huge, you're a local legend over here, that's awesome. Thank uh, you. Nong, you're originally from Thailand, you moved to America with $70 and two suitcases and now you are one of the most successful food carts in Portland and a very successful uh, brick and mortar restaurant now too.
2: Thank you. <laughs> yeah,
0: thank you. <laughs> um, what why did you decide to leave home?
2: Um, love. <laughs> um, I moved um, uh, to be with uh, my ex-husband um, at the time. Everyone <laughs> has their exes, right? <laughs> 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 yes.
0: And has food always been a big part of your life?
2: Um, yes.
0: What was your relationship like to food in Thailand?
2: Uh, we, we don't um, get to go to restaurants much and uh, we just um, um, have to make our own food so it's something that uh, once a week my mom my sister and me will like go uh, buy a grocery for the whole week and uh, that's the food we eat for the entire week
0: so you learned how to cook from your mom and your sister yes that's great and um, when you came to america what did you imagine it would be like
2: so I watch a lot of uh, American movies, like Back to the Future.
0: <laughs> did you think there were time machines? Did you like, whoa, I'm going to go to the 1500s.
2: Yes, so like everything like that.
0: <laughs> you're going to just be on a floating skate- skateboard from town to town?
2: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, that's so awesome. Uh, what, when you came to America, what were your hopes and dreams like when you came here? Did you imagine, did you think... What did you think right away? What was what did you think your life was going to be like when you got here?
2: I just thought like, "Oh, I'm going to be rich." <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so you were like, "I got this." <laughs>
2: <laughs> like I never been um on an airplane and that was like the first time I like fly. That's uh and I remember um um at the airport uh, in San Francisco and um, the toilet uh, flush is self, and I thought like, whoa, that's a robot! <laughs> <laughs> a robot flushed the toilet and like, I thought like, wow, like, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it yes. kind of is like back to the future. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he took me to uh, Charis restaurant and I I saw the biggest bacon I ever seen, (laughs) yes, and um, like the eggs were big, and I was like, oh wow, that's why people are big.
0: (laughs) It's true, people are a little bigger around here. Yes. (laughs) And they put bacon on everything too.
2: Yeah, yes, but that's like, I think that's a special bacon. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the big bacon.
2: Yes, huge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, what was your first job when you came to the United States?
2: So I was a waitress at a buffet restaurant. That's my first job.
0: And from yes. that moment on, did you were you you were comfortable in the around food and everything? Did you mm-hmm. uh, did did you aspire to work in restaurants from then from then on?
2: Um, uh, back then, um, it was. Um, uh, it was only choice uh, at the time I because I started uh, working right away like the second week um, I was in the States Like that's the job. I can get at the time
0: No, did you think that one day you would own your own restaurant?
2: Um, I Think that one day I will own my business uh, but um, Uh, I I didn't know that it's gonna be a restaurant but I think I always ambitious and uh, I always want to own my own business
0: What advice would you give to Americans that just or people that just immigrated to the United States?
2: Um, What what do I tell them? Yeah, as advice Yes, advice Uh, So my advice would be um, uh, it's gonna be hard but uh, it's okay to uh, copy first um. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: yes. such good advice.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you copy first, and then um, and then you find your own um, uh, creativity. Yeah. Just copy first. <laughs> so you are like
0: fake it till you make it.
2: <laughs> Everyone,
0: yes. keep it going for Nong. Everybody, thank you so much. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. you guys ready for your next storyteller? Uh, your next storyteller is very hilarious, uh, very handsome. You may have seen him on Comedy Central or heard him on This American Life. Everyone, please welcome uh, Chris Garcia, everybody. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I was thinking about this question when I was asked to do this show. Uh, where do you exist? And um, I'd have to say I'd always existed kind of on the margins. My parents are from Cuba. I was raised in Los Angeles, California, a rough part of Los Angeles called Inglewood. Uh, Yeah, it's up to no good, yeah. Uh, But uh, my parents very aspirational people um, and they've always wanted the best for me and they knew that growing up in Inglewood that you're kind of, anywhere you grow up in this country, you're kind of, your fate is sealed by the zip code that you live in. It is. And so my parents, since I was a little kid, have lied about where we lived. Always lied when we lived in Inglewood. My parents wanted me to go to a Catholic school in Westchester, California, which is a suburb right next to Inglewood. So they found another family with the last name Garcia. I don't know how in Los Angeles. Uh, But they bribed a family in Los Angeles for me to go to this Catholic school. And the whole time I knew I was like, my parents talk funny, I'm bringing flan to lunch, people are looking at me sideways. I brought this, there's a, a soda called Matenva, which is a Cuban soda. In first grade, they thought I was bringing beer to school and drinking it. <laughs> so we had to do that bullshit for me to get a regular education. And then my dad lost his job. It was a tough time. I ended up in a really bad school. There are hardly any books or anything like that. And so, and my dad couldn't get a job. We couldn't afford, like, I went to a very menial, like, private school, you know? It was just the, it was just, it it was a cheap Catholic school. It was a small one or whatever. But they're like, well, we can't afford any school anymore. So my parents uh, decided to lie about where we lived so I can go to a public school in Manhattan Beach, California. Are you familiar? (laughs) Manhattan Beach is, like, a rich beach town in, like, in Southern California. It's like all flip-flops and Adam's apples. Like, it is Daniel Tosh as far as the eye can see. Like, I went from like living in Inglewood to going to this school that like had a surf team, had a beach volleyball team. The most popular guy in my class was named Brogan Mollenhoe. That's a real name, Brogan Mollenhoe, huh? Brogan, dude. Uh He just like always walked like. He just walked like a like if C-3PO had a surfboard. He was always like oh. really sweet guy, really popular. He ran for class president, and his poster said "Brogan, that's my slogan," and uh, he won. He ran unopposed. He's too good. It's too good. Terrible time in my life. I fell out of place to make matters worse. You know, my dad's out of a job. He was convinced it was because his English was not good. He came to the United States in his mid to late thirties. He hit the ground running his English never got great. So he was convinced that he kept on getting laid off because he couldn't speak English. So he decided to enroll in the adult English as a second language program at my new high school. (laughs) With me. (laughs) During the day when I went there, just me, but Garcia and a bunch of brogans walking around. You guys would be like, hey, what's up, Mr. Garcia?" Uh, you know? <laughs> and my dad was not shy. Hey, Chris! Hey, stupid! You forgot your lunch? Oh, yeah! Sonso Oh, yeah, you forgot your lunch, man! Don't forget where you come from! You're not one of these rich kids, okay? Don't forget where you come from! You come from Manhattan Beach, okay? 18075 Matthews Avenue, apartment B. 90210 or whatever, I don't remember. <laughs> and I was shy, I was running for my dad. I, did, I had like all these pimples in my head, and my dad was around, I didn't have any friends. And, my, and I was like, I wanted to play baseball, because I guess that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and I was like, I don't know, my dad's like, you go play baseball, you go do forever you want. This is America, land of opportunity, I didn't come here for nothing, man. So I felt out of the place, but then I was like, okay, maybe I do belong. My dad's like, you're not Cuban, you're Cuban American. You're American, I came for you to do this. So I joined all the clubs. I joined the Star Trek club, the Star Trek Next Generation club, <laughs> the Spanish club. I was in the African American Student Union. I was the second person in the club. <laughs> I joined Model United Nations, which I I got really excited. It was my first taste of stand-up. You guys know Model UN, you just get up and you just say stupid stuff into a microphone. And, but I was really passionate about it because it it talked about the world and politics and that's what I was getting very interested in by being in this weird social situation at this school. Uh, But the weird thing is that the other schools we debated were like Huntington Beach and Newport Beach. So the debates were like, actually, the delegate from Sri Lanka is a total boner right now, so. (laughs) (laughs) stop it bro or whatever uh so even that was weird but in that class I met this young lady uh she was very pretty she was very nice she was a cheerleader she was white and I would crack her up in class zero period I was just like pulling dumb jokes and we just sat in the corner and my my friends were like she likes you man and I was like yeah right dude (laughs) I am not worthy I just felt like I'm a little A.C. Slater from the other side of the tracks, and she's Kelly Kapowski, and I have no business over there, man. I am not worthy. I am a little brown boy from Inglewood, and I don't deserve this. And so I just was like, okay, I don't really, I, it's, I, that's not for me. I, this is not okay. I am, not, I am nothing, and this is a rich person from Manhattan Beach. I don't belong here. And... Uh, you know, she kept on being very nice and funny. My friends were like, she likes you, man, and stuff. And I didn't, my dad, one day after school, on the drive home, he's like, what's wrong? you are like, been acting a lot of, like, pretty weird or whatever. And I was like, ah, oh, I like this girl. I don't know what to do. And he's like, oh, just do what you do in Cuba. You just say, hello, will you be my girlfriend? And then you get married, you know? And you bring her dad a pig, and then it's over. And, uh, so... One day, uh, she, there's like a c- couple people go to this person's house late at night and we watch a shining and during the shining, we're sitting next to each other and a scary moment happens. She grabs my hand and I'm like, whoa. And I was like, I don't deserve, like, this is really weird. Like I've never done anything ever. Uh, and I'm like holding her hand. She goes outside, we go outside and I just go, I go, I go, will you be my girlfriend? <laughs> like I just say it as awkward. I just like, no, oh, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> Wait, be my girlfriend and she was like yes yeah. <laughs> and I was like what <laughs> I was like what <laughs> and she was my girlfriend and it felt so weird and and we would like hang out and stuff and I eventually met her parents I would have her drop me off at some random corner in Manhattan Beach next to a Burger King where I would use a payphone to call my parents to come pick me up and stuff and um, after a while you know we like we, we made out and stuff like that. And after six months, she was like, I think we should do it. I think we should lose our virginities to each other. And so I I like, she, she was like, not right here on the floor in my parents' basement while Fraser's on. Like, <laughs> it, it needs to be special, right? And so I was like, oh word, yeah, oh, of course. It's gotta be special. And. Uh, And that's what I resolved to do. I was like, this is a very special thing, and I'm going to make it special. And I remember her telling a story that the most comfortable bed she ever slept in was the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel. She went on vacation with her grandparents. I don't know why they went on vacation six miles away from where they live, but uh, they went on vacation there, and it's the uh, the hotel made famous by the movie Pretty Woman. And I was like, well, if that's what she... In my head, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to go to the Ridge Bev Wilsh, And so I got on the phone and I called 411. It was the late 90s. And, uh, and I called 411 and I was like, hi, I'd like a room for Garcia, please. And they're like, that'll be $400. And I was like, I'll call you right back. So the next day I went out and I looked for a job. And I got a job at the dry cleaner that was right by my high school. And I worked there like three, four times a week and on the weekends. I got paid $4 an hour. So I do all this sweet stuff. And I finally saved up all this money, like 500 bucks. I got a bank account. I get a bank account. I have $500 in. I want to make this special. So I tell her, I want to surprise her. I say, hey, we're going to go camping for the weekend. So bring camping clothes just to throw off the scent of what we were doing. So she got camping clothes and I snuck in her room and I got her prom dress, her like orange, like Disney's frozen ass (laughs) prom dress, took it to the dry cleaner, got it dry cleaned and boxed up and like put a bow on it. And I showed up and I put it um, in the trunk of my dad's 1982 Toyota Corolla with a different colored door on it. (laughs) And I show up to her house and uh, I pick her up and she's wearing like a, she's wearing a handkerchief over her head, like Rosie the Riveter style or whatever, because we're going camping. She's got Tevas. She's got those shorts that zip into pants. Uh, she's like, think we're going camping in Santa Barbara. And then uh, I take her blind. I take her uh, handkerchief and I put it over her eyes because I was like, this is gonna be a surprise. I put it over her eyes. I like, know. And so we drive to Beverly Hills in this little putt-putt car. We get to the Regent Beverly Wilshire. It's like a circular driveway, right? I've never seen one before. One of those big semicircles. There's a, ba- a valet. Never done a valet, so I'm pulling up a hundred feet away. I just get, I get nervous. I freak out. I just step out of the car and I just start like waving um, to the valet, right? The valet and security's like, "What the fuck is this?" They rush the car. They see a young girl who, who's in a kidnap situation <laughs> with a handkerchief over their eyes and they're like what's going on they like bang they like bang on the car and i roll down the window and and there's in spanish i'm like oye okay oye un dia muy especial uh-huh. and in spanish i pretty much mis- told me i was like i run into a room here i'm about to lose my virginity guys don't blow this for me and they're like no te preocupes mijo go right ahead or whatever <laughs> brown town discount oh had to came through she this alarms her she takes out her, her, she takes off her blindfold she's like oh my gosh and she's like I love you and I'm like I love you too and like we like kiss. we're little kids you know and uh and uh we go uh, I go to the counter and you know check in and stuff and I had a friend who was um older in community college and he bought um champagne cause in Pretty Woman there's strawberries and champagne and stuff <laughs> so I brought that and uh we, we went up to the room and we ate the strawberries and drank champagne. And um, uh, we li- I had a disc band that had our favorite pavement song on it. Uh, it was very 90s. It was a song, Rattled by the Rush. And we had these little, uh, I inverted the headphones and we listened and we kissed. And then it was like, she was like, let's do it. And then um, I, um, finished immediately. I, uh, I, I I put my penis inside and I was done! I was done! But I deserved it. But, because uh, I put a lot of work into it. And so I, I was so embarrassed. But then, I luckily we were there for an entire evening and, you know, my dad didn't come here for nothing, guys. And so... We we did it a bunch of other times, and it was very sweet. And thank you for listening to my embarrassing story. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Where Do You Exist is produced by Little Everywhere in collaboration with HBO's Here and Now, produced by Alan Ball, Peter McDesey, and David Noller. I'm your host, Chris Garcia, Come back next week for more.